Welcome listeners, hopefully you're all keeping well and positive at this difficult time and are finding yourselves to have adapted sufficiently at this point in the crisis. Dan Dawson is back on the podcast today, having impressed when we reviewed the 14-15 and 13-14 seasons at the start of the month. Dan, great to have you back. Thank you for having me. Welcome back. How, how are you coping in, um, in lockdown? It's alright, we're playing a lot of football in the garden. My boy and girl have got very, very good at smashing the ball at me from not far away, so I'm bruised all over, but I'm, I'm getting there. Nice. Peter and Sim, welcome back, guys. How are you both doing? Good. Yeah, okay. Okay, mate. Today's edition looks pitifully at the 2003-04 Spurs season, starring a team which last year was branded the Vincibles in a rather humorous article on Planet Football, assessing our, quote, hilariously bad 2003-04 campaign. We want to win the Premiership, of course we do, and that is my ultimate goal. But it's early doors to be talking about that. Those were the words of Glenn Hoddle when he became Daniel Levy and Enoch's first managerial appointment in March 2001. But two and a half years later, the club legend also became the first of seven sackings by Enoch to pass it after six Premier League games with just four points to show for the season. Pete, you're the same age as Glenn and he's one of your favourite players ever. But did you feel at the time in this season that he had to be dismissed? Well, as with all managers who get the tin tack, the final days always seem to have an air of inevitability about them. It was was no different this time. I mean, the the results were on the slide. We're in a results-orientated game, football, and it's like the results, there's no getting away from it. The results were were, were sliding very badly. Sad, really, for Glenn, because he came in like as our homecoming hero. I think you'll remember taking over from the man with the raincoat, as you remember, and it was like, it shows the ruthlessness of the board, really, that, in fact, George Graham had got us to a semi-final, an FA Cup semi-final, and I remember going to Hoddle's first game, which I think was the semi-final at Old Trafford. Uh, Correct, and, it was. And, and tactically, you know, I'm surprised that it went so badly, because, am I right in saying he's the first guy to really bring the 3-5-2 into England, really, and... Uh, Learned a lot of coaching stuff from Arsene Wenger at Monaco, and he'd done well tactically for England. You know, he didn't get sacked for football reasons, so you expect it. But uh, the signings weren't great. Postiga was one of his signings. I think he just misfired, didn't he? Really, yeah. really badly. And uh, adding insult to injury by really playing well against England in the subsequent <laughs> international tournament. <coughs> I, I seem to remember. But, yeah, he did. Yeah, but one last thing. I just, did he have David Pleat meddling around in the background and slightly maybe undermining him? He was. There was a quote by Pleat when he took back over as caretaker manager that he said that Glenn wanted him to be the best player in training every day, which was a barbed dig at him. So I think you're right, Peter, when you sort of say that there there was a no love lost. Do you think Glenn Hoddle managed too early? Do you think he, he didn't get enough managerial experience before he took England and Tottenham jobs? I wonder if he sort of took over, say, five or six years later, because he was player manager at about mm. 34, wasn't he? So yeah. I think that's a really great point. I think you might be right. Peter, what, what's your thoughts on that? Did he, did he manage too early? I don't think so, because I think he's a player manager at Chelsea... He might have got the Chelsea job off the back of what he'd done at Swindon. And he'd done, he did, like, yeah. he'd done really well at Swindon. And he had, uh, did he have Colin Calderwood alongside him or something? I don't, no, no, he had a And John Gorman. Gorman, yeah, Gorman. Gorman. Uh, and he'd done really well at Swindon, which had got him the Chelsea job. So I, I think no less experienced than, say, Lampard. Mm. You know, yeah. Dan, are you sort of saying that he's too 
quick to go to Spurs where that was his dream job. Yeah, and I think that's the problem is that, that obviously it's working out well for Lampard. I think he's done, you know, with, with Chelsea and obviously them having a transfer ban this season and, you know, he kind of forced into working with what he's got. It's probably quite good for him. But when Hoddle becomes the first managerial signing for Enoch, they bring in the homegrown hero. They brought in someone who the fans are obviously going to love straight away, thinking back to his his playing days. I just don't know if it was the right move for Hoddle at the time. I don't think he really had enough of the managerial game to take his boyhood club to anything spectacular. He'd taken England to the 98 World Cup. And, you know, I know it's different from international football, club football, but it certainly cut his teeth in management by the time he came to Spurs in 2001. Yeah, I guess. I mean, he had the best players in the country as well to, to, to do that with, whereas at Spurs, I mean, we're, I'm sure we're going to go through somebody's players. But... <laughs> yeah, it was, here we are, Dan, you're right, there's some dark days. But I just want to sort of bring up a point um, at the end of this season, the 2003-04 season, um, Stephen Carl left for Newcastle, who played in the Champions League the same year and finished fifth, four points of qualification with the 2004-05 competition. How concerning was it to see someone who played over 200 times for Spurs move to Newcastle? I mean, Spurs, like, going to Newcastle above Spurs, did he have a point considering we'd come from 14th? I love Stephen Carr. I thought he was a great player. I think it's a tough one when you've cheered on a player like that who's obviously bled for the club and been there through some very dark days. So you see them, see them move on. You want them to go somewhere better. I mean, no offence to Newcastle. They were knocking on the door, but I didn't say they are a bigger club. At yeah. the time, I remember being particularly hurt by it. He was like probably one of our best ever right backs. I thought. I just remember the screamer he scored against Man United. He had a point, didn't he? Because yeah. we were Newcastle were in the Champions League this season. We're talking about now, and they only just missed out on it, like you said, for the for the next season after. So looking back at the time, it was probably a good a good move for him. Bobby Robson was the manager. They've been yeah European regulars. We've been out of Europe since '99, so yeah. there's not there was not much European pedigree from us. But in hindsight, for him. You know, we, we looked at the 4 5 season and we were improving, but it was maybe not so clear at the time that we would maybe improve the way, with the kind of pace that we did and almost almost getting in the Champions League a couple of years later. It's a shame to have lost a right-back like him because kind of much like we said that we wish that we'd had, we'd had Edmund at left-back in that 5 or 6 season where we just missed out. It would have been great to have Carr at right-back as well because the two full-backs in that season were, were substandard. That season, transfer-wise for Spurs, you know, we'll come on to that in a minute, but this was, this was the first season where Abramovich came in and Chelsea's lavish spending start. Can you give us a little bit of a review of that? No one had ever seen anything like it. They brought in Glenn Johnson for six million, Jeremy for seven, Wayne Bridge for seven, Duff for 17, Veron for 15. This is 2003, by the way. The disgraced Adrian Mutu as well. He, he uh, mm. had a bit of trouble with cocaine, didn't he? 16 million, Crespo 17 million, McAlaney 16 million, and then Scott Parker in January for 10 million. I mean, you're, a, you're an accountant, Ian. I can't do the maths in my yeah. head. And Dan, you work for finance as well. That was absolutely crazy that season was, wasn't it? The, the spending there. And I think it sort of, you know, powers what we spent, you know, eight, nearly 19 million on the players of Postiga was about 8 million, Michael Brown, half a million, Zamora. 1.5, Canuti 3.5 and Defoe in February 7 million I mean Peter how did you sort of feel before the season started with our signings well, it's, it's a fair play issue going on there because I think look, we were dealing well below the level of what say someone like Chelsea Chelsea was doing like they had a few rubles to sort of spread about there so take Scott, Scotty Parker for example it's like the real heartbeat of the Charlton midfield and 
he just ripped the heart out of Charlton. And then they, they benched him. They put him on the bench. And he, he didn't feature in many games for Chelsea. Yet, you know, yeah. so it's, it's an element of taking players out of a team, weakening your opposition. You know, it's a real fair play issue there. But we were definitely not dining at the top table there at all. No, Dan, how did you feel about the signings going into the season? Before I'd met my wife, I had a, a, a previous girlfriend and she was working at Chelsea. She worked in their kind of corporate hospitality department. And it was while all this stuff was going on. So there was new players signing every other day or something. It was crazy. Yeah. And they were spending all that money. In fact, Abramovich had taken over the day after she'd started her job. So I remember there was obviously lots of Chelsea Spurs talk in, in my house at the time. And every time they signed a you know, Makaleli, that signing was just incredible. Huge, um, huge. Big signing. But, you know, they were, they were able to go and spend that kind of money. And, it, you know, Enoch hadn't long come in for Spurs and... You know, if you want a comparison to those two owners in terms of the way they will spend money to get exactly what they want, we're at polar opposites when we're talking about the quality and, and amount that we were spending. Does that show in the trophy cabinet? Yeah, exactly. I mean, <laughs> you buy they they didn't just buy those players; they bought those trophies uh, at, at the same time. And yeah. uh, and the fact is that Enoch and Daniel Levy went and spent 19 million in total on Postiga, Zamora, Canute, Brown, and Defoe. Those aren't going to win you the the Premier League title and the cups and and take you to the Champions League. Full stop. Yeah, that's where you yeah. see Chelsea and Spurs diverge. Some of the players who went out that season, Teddy Sheringham went out, Iverson, Zamora in a swap, uh, Etherington, Chris Perry, Ben Thatcher. They were at the end of their cycle, weren't they? So yeah. I just think I, I remember feeling very very much underwhelmed on that transfer window. And also, one, one thing I just want to ask Peter, how did he feel about... You know, Hoddle didn't buy any defenders in that little uh, group of players he bought. He didn't really have a good defence because he's conceded so many in the previous season. Well, like I said, you know, a manager lives or dies by his... Obviously, his results and his signings and the teams that he builds. Built. And I, I just don't think the signings were great. The sort of inverted commas marquee signing was Postigo, and he horribly misfired. I mean... We talk about sort yeah. of Soldado, it was, a, it was another kind of Soldado, <laughs> really. You know, it just didn't happen yeah. for him. But also in Postiga, I mean, I, I used to make a lot of games that season. Postiga in the warm up just looked absolutely world class. But the moment, like, you know, he got into the pitch, he just looked off the pace. He didn't look physical enough for me. Dan, what was your sort of thoughts on him? He just didn't have that physicality. If ever there was a confidence player, um, yeah. it's him, right? It's like, you know, when the pressure's off, he looks world class. And as soon as the the pressure's on in-game. It took him a while to score his first league goal, didn't it? I can't remember how long, but I remember when he came in thinking, oh, this guy's this guy's supposed to be brilliant. We, we should be stoked at having him. And every time he touched the ball, I was like, I just, I don't see it. I just, I couldn't see it at all. Dan, yeah. do, you think, do you think he needed an arm around the shoulder? I, I don't know yeah. if Hoddle is that kind of guy, really. To, and, and that's and that, that's where we're talking about those, you know, the the lack of experience, managerial experience in a manager like Hoddle, where he, you know, he was always a flair player. He never really needed an arm around him when he was a player. He always had that sheer natural ability to fall back on. He just knew he could lose himself in a game and pick up um, and do something world class, whereas. I think there are players like Postiga who, um, I mean, I could reel off a ton of them that have played for us. That just, you know, you feel like 
they come into the English game and they just need an arm around them to say, right, you know, the pace may be different, you know, the style of play may be different, but this is how you can adapt and this is how you can do it. And some managers have got it and some managers haven't. There's a terrible story about Tony Cascarino when Hoddle first went to Chelsea about the first day of training. Hoddle made each one of them go into the middle of this circle and then people would like chip balls into them. That's control it and then volley it back to someone else. Some of them couldn't even do it, you know. It's, and Hoddle went in and showed them, kept on showing them. He was still the best player. You know, he, he basically bullied them. That, that's what Cascarino felt. And I wonder, to your point about not putting an arm around in pieces, is, is a great point. You know, like you come into a new country, maybe, I don't know how good his English was. The physicality of our league, he was a young player, but he really needed this guy to really hit the ground running. And he had to really get the goals, and he just didn't. And uh, you contrast that with someone like Harry Redknapp, when Modric first came into our league, he was getting knocked off the ball left, right and centre. Then he sort of seemed to settle in the team. And I think that might have been Harry putting his arm around his shoulder and saying, you're my man, you're my main man. Some people need to be told, you're my main guy. Yeah, didn't, didn't Postiga miss those two guilt chances in the... Um in the game at Arsenal in November, yeah. which could have actually yeah, finished, it, it could have finished the Invincibles before yeah. before it was even thought of, and I mean that's what a lot of Spurs fans go back to. That's unfortunately what it's probably going to be remembered for. Did we still have Gary Doherty in that? We season? did. He so, played centre back, and then he brought him on a sub for up front. He used to do yeah. that quite a bit. Pretty much the standard defence in that season was Stephen Carr at right back, with Dean Richards, Anthony Gardner played a lot. Obviously, Leslie played a lot, and Gary Doherty, as we said, and left back was. Tarico, um and Konjeski sort of came in, in in the window as well. I mean, that's a pretty poor back four, isn't it, guys? I wince when you talk about Tarico. There's a guy who could bite your legs. He was a really tough guy. He's like Lamella, though, isn't he? It's like yeah. I heard a good quote about Lamella. He's, uh, he's the kind of player that the manager has to remind not to take a knife out onto the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. The midfield was just was heavy. It was clogged with a lot of, say, older players. I mean, Anderson was still there. And Jamie Redknapp, Poye, Christian Zieger. I just think felt we didn't have energy in that season. We sort of limped through games. I mean, to be fair, I remember looking back, were we lucky not to get relegated? Towards the end of the season, we lost seven of our last 12 games. The legs have gone like If you're talking about Anderton and Poye, you know, those guys really coming towards the end of their career, really. We had that run of five wins from six, didn't we, at the start of 2004, which kind of pushed us away from relegation. But you're right, the, the run at the end of the season, we only won three out of our last, what, two, four, like, three out of our last 12, 13 or something. Seven out of 12 we lost and we drew two. Yeah, it's awful. Absolutely ridiculous. Stefan Dalmat, do you remember him? Oh, yeah. yeah. I remember him in a midweek game. I went to a midweek and it was a team in blue. It was either Everton or Birmingham. I was up in the West End and uh, he received a ball from the touchline and shimmied past a couple of guys and just drilled it like... Into yeah, I remember the, that into the yeah. bottom corner. I just remember it was it was definitely a midweek game, and I thought he looked like he was carrying a bit of weight, but he oh. had the kind of balance on the ball, a bit like Salah, and then he just faded. I thought it was going to be a world beater. You know? Yeah, Dan, do you remember much memories of him? I remember him being a chunky, stocky guy. <laughs> I was about to say exactly the same thing. Oh, yeah, I remember I was I was sat in the. Park Lane that day and I turned around to my mate Phil who I used to go a lot with as when we were members before season tickets so we used to move around all the Park Lane. We were quite far up and I said God that guy's a bit of a unit isn't he? He looks massive. I mean he was stood next to Stephen Carr at the time so I mean, his car was quite small anyway but I did, we couldn't work out whether it was a perspective thing or if it was just the fact that he was a giant. 
But that's about all he had going for him, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. And those two goals um, against Birmingham. We had um, some youngsters coming through. Um, Rowan Ricketts, who'd come from Arsenal that season. And Johnny Jackson was coming through. I quite liked Johnny Jackson at the time. Peter, do you remember much about him? I, I do remember. I do remember certain guys, they didn't really kind of like, their talent really didn't seem to unfold or develop. I don't know, just, I don't know why some players... I mean, Simon Davis was another. I know he had some bad injuries, but a lot of players they don't sort of push on. That's 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 the word I'm looking. So, talking of young players and converging that with Dalmet. Um, yeah. By the way, Dalmet's loan got ended in the April of that season because he had a fight with Jamie O'Hara on the training ground. Is that right? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sim, could you take us through sort of uh, the first say six games, which took us to where Glenn Hoddle got sacked, and then the guys we can pick up our thoughts on that. If that's okay, Sim. Yeah, so we were beaten 1-0 by Birmingham on the first day, away from home. We beat Leeds at home 2-1 in the second game, which was the only win of that cluster. Leeds went down that season, remember. Got a 0-0 draw at Anfield, but then we lost 3-0 at home to Fulham. Barry Hales got a couple of goals, and then Hoddle's reign basically ended with three defeats in a row, which was that Fulham game was the first one. Got beat 4-2 at Stamford Bridge. Mutu got a couple of goals in that game. And then... Funnily enough, to his old club Southampton, three-one at White Hart Lane was his final game. So that was that would have been pretty nice for them to inflict that on him yeah. the way he, the way he left it, as well. I mean, I, I remember going to that game, and I mean, I, I, I'm I'm one of Hoddle. You know, Hoddle's my favourite ever player, and I just couldn't boo. I just could. I just sort of remember walking out the ground, just feeling a bit deflated. But I just couldn't boo him because I loved him so much. But I, I just felt it was time for him to go. Dan, did you have that feeling as well? We're blessed recently as Spurs fans with the you know relative success compared to the years that we're talking about right now. And I think that we deserve the Champions League football after having to watch the crap that we were watching back then. Um, and Ben Hoddle's team is unfortunately in that category. <laughs> week in, week out, turning up and trying to build an atmosphere in a stadium where the football you're having to watch is just terrible. And, you know, and you can you can see it on the players' faces. You can see it on the people that were signing, that they're just not up to the right standard. And the manager was part of that. I don't remember everyone really slating him off because no, no, he was I mean, such you, a god you, to us. You compare that to the man in the raincoat, you know, after a couple of yeah. defeats, you know, he would have been slaughtered. But I think, you know, there's a, there's a great love for Glenn. And uh, it's, just, it's just an overwhelming feeling of sadness that it just... just didn't seem to be working. I mean, I'd seen the same thing happen to Ozzy. Careful what you wish for, you know, in terms of getting your hero back. When Pleat came in, I mean, I was a big fan of Pleat in 86, 87. Oh, yeah. a wonderful, wonderful team. Flow, team. I mean, I'm looking forward to that season when we when we cover that. But So when Pleat came in, we got a little bit of a bounce sim, didn't we? He was unbeaten in his first six. So his first game was actually a League Cup game. We won 3-0 at Coventry. But yeah, he was unbeaten in his first four league games. Beat Everton, beat Leicester. But... We went on a run after beating Wolves 5-2. We lost four in a row. And I suppose it's just a team that finishes 14th in the league. You're just going to go on runs like that where you just lose games and don't show any consistency, really. When he came in, would you maybe call him a firefighter? Any manager that comes in to pick up after someone's just been sacked, you know? It's just trying to avoid relegation, really. We were heading towards the bottom end of the table, weren't we? Yeah, I do, I do. I do remember that that Wolves game though, because my daughter was born that day. I remember coming home from hospital that day, and that was about the only joy uh, watching Spurs that period. And then obviously we didn't have a very good period there. Then we ended up finishing fourteenth um, um, the season before we finished tenth. You know, it's not great for a club of our size, was it, guys? But back to the Hoddle sacking actually. Uh, what 
Levy said, you know, this is really interesting. Bearing in mind he's a club legend. Following two seasons of disappointing results, there was significant investment in the team in the summer to give us the best possible chance of success. The current lack of progress and any visible signs of improvement are unacceptable. He's had two and a bit seasons. We should have kicked on, but could, could you blame him? Or can you sort of blame the board a little bit for not investing? Well, when you line it up against Damien Duff, 17 million, and um, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, uh, Veron, 15 million, and was it Mutu before he snorted up the whole of Peru? <laughs> he was uh, yeah. 16 million, yeah. yeah. So, 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 I, so I think it's laughable to say that we backed him that we backed him all the way in the summer, because, I mean, our best yeah. signing of that summer, of that not that summer, of that season, was Defoe, and that was in January, so that was... That was after play. I wouldn't say Postiga, Zamora... Canute, Canute did all right. Canute did all right. But I wouldn't say yeah. Postiga and Zamora would, was backing him to the hill, so to speak. Let's just, let's just compare Daniel Levy's version of significant investment to Roman Abramovich's... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Great <laughs> point, Great point. But you know, can, I, can I just throw this out there, actually? What could have been different? As at the time, I was looking back at some old press cuttings. At the time, we were linked to replace Hoddle with Martin O'Neill, Alan Kerbishley, Graham Soonis, and Harry Redknapp and Alex McLeish. How different would we have been if we just sort of employed, say, Martin O'Neill quickly? Would the club be different, do you think, Peter? What's your thoughts? Think, uh, at the time, Martin O'Neill was a very... I think his stock was a lot higher than probably is now. It was huge at Celtic then. Consistently got Villa into the top six before they started slightly not backing him with the funds that he needed and then he quit there. But I, I thought he, at the time, of those names that you mentioned, he would have been my preferred choice, I think. I think I probably would have gone with Redknapp, to be honest, and that's probably only knowing what I've, I know now from Redknapp. I, th- I, kind of, I, I really enjoyed the Redknapp years when he was with us. Martin O'Neill was had the same problem at Villa that Glenn Hoddle had at Spurs. That lack of investment in a team just causes it to slide. And I think our problem was that Enix's takeover of the club at that point, it wasn't the significant investment that Daniel Levy thought it was when it was investing in the team. And he has continued to be, I think, too hands-on on the signings that we get rather than allowing the managers to kind of make more of a decision. And I reckon Hoddle suffered from that with Daniel Levy above him. Sim, if you can take us through the League Cup that year and then the FA Cup, just up to the Man City game, that would be great. If you can take us through what happened for us. (laughs) The FA Cup was probably one of the most infamous, one of the most infamous campaigns in the club's history, isn't it? But yeah, to start with the League Cup, we cruised past Coventry 3-0. That was, as I said before, David Pleat's first game. That was only two days after Hoddle's second as well. And then we got a 92nd, when I say 92nd minute, I mean in extra time. An extra time winner yeah. from Bobby Zamora at home to West Ham. I don't know if any of you lot remember that. I certainly don't. But yeah, I remember that game, yeah. yeah. But yeah, Bobby Zamora's only goal for Spurs, by the way. Really? Yeah. Gosh. Beat Man City 3-1 at home in the next in the next round. But then we went out to the eventual winners of the competition, Middlesbrough, in the quarterfinals, 5-4 on penalties. We spoke about 2004-05 and... There was the Liverpool defeat in the League Cup on penalties as well, where we also drew the game 1-1 on the night, but conceded an equaliser, which made it go to penalties. And then you all know what happens with Spurs on penalties. <laughs> Sad. Yeah. Sad days. Tim, if you could take us through the, our, our little FA Cup run and then we'll uh, divert uh, Mr Dawson to, for his views on it. <laughs> yeah, so Canute scored a hat-trick in the third run against Palace. We won that game 3-0. Palace got promoted that season, actually. So that was a nice little um, scalp, if you want to call it. And then on to the next round, we got a 1-1 replay. We played, we, got, we took it to a replay, drew 1-1 at, away at Man City. 
And then in the replay, I'll let you guys take over from there. Dan, t- take us through it. It was quite funny. I remember being a, going to a replay. Uh, well, White Hot Lane wasn't full either. It was. It felt half empty. I remember it. But it was quite good. Those. It was Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday night. Wednesday. I remember. Wednesday night. Uh, and we'd gone down to the pub, obviously, and had a few beers beforehand. And there was a carnival atmosphere in there when we went. Well, we we scored after the second or third minute or something. Yeah, um, second minute. You're right. Lady King. Uh, King. Was it Lady King? Yeah, yeah, yeah it was, it was top King, top yeah. corner, right yeah. in front of us. Yeah. And I, you know what? Every single goal, there were seven goals that day and they were all right in front of us because it was all at the top right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so at half-time, I was downstairs when Barton got sent off because he got sent off walking off the pitch and I was downstairs getting beers in and uh, kind of uh, another cheer went up and I was like, what's going on? Uh, Barton got sent off. So not only are we freeing them up, but, um, but they're down to 10 men now. So that's it, game over. So a double round in at the bar and, you know, didn't bother going up for a while uh, until they, they scored and then they just kept coming and coming. We were like, what are you doing? What's happening? We've capitulated. Yeah, it was, it was like a real bad dream. Yeah. But I, I don't know, um, Peter, I, uh, I'm, I've got quite an amusing story in this. So my, my nephew at the time must have been about 10 or 11 who was football mad and we'd already drawn Man United away in the next round and... I remember phoning my sister to say, to tell him that, uh, you know, I'll get tickets, we can go up there, we're 3-0 up at half-time, it's going to be brilliant. Suddenly he wakes up the next morning, they've lost 4-3. Yeah. Yeah, uh, welcome to being a Spurs fan, poor kid. It's a tra- I don't know whether I'm more traumatised, I think I'm more traumatised by that, cause it was, and I watched it on the telly, and yeah, definitely more traumatised than the 5-3 Man United game. <laughs> yeah. Because... because this was a very ordinary Kevin Keegan Man City team. Sean Wright Phillips was in it. Some guy called Macken. It was just really just weird. And I think what the key to it is that they come out and score straight away after half time. You know, it sort of bit of doubt creeps in. But it was just it was, it was surreal in a way. But we had a chance to go four one up that was cleared off the line. It was from a Ziga free kick. Ziga scored a free kick in the first half, and then another one in the second half down the other end that hit the bar. And then Poye was trying to nod it into an empty net and the keeper made a save and stopped it on the line for 4-1. You know, that would have definitely been game over at that point, but they kept coming back. I felt very, very, very low after that because it was a poor season anyway and that just just felt really broken by that. I, felt, I sort of fell out of love with him a little bit that season, I have to admit. Also, City were awful. They hadn't won a game in months. It was unbelievable, and, and you're right, Dan, there was only 30,000 there, and, you know, we normally would sell out however rubbish we were, wouldn't we? It was 36,000, so I think that spoke volumes that night. I think we've gone on long enough about this very turgid season, and <laughs> we've tried not to mention uh, what happened, who won the league that year, and I think that's best if we keep it that way, guys, unless anyone wants well, to mention that. I do have a little point on that, actually, but it's not. It's, I don't want to talk too much about Arsenal there. But um, do you guys remember? Okay, so uh, I will have to say it, the game where Arsenal won the league at our place. I do. I was yeah. there as well. Two, yeah. two, 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 awful, two. awful. But I, I've heard Thierry Henry kind of mocking us for that game because he said we celebrated a two-two draw and and but I, I genuinely think that that really took the shine off the way like they they're, they're going to go on forever about how they won the league at our place. But I think that they really wanted to win that game, and I think I genuinely think that that game was a turning point in our history. I really do. It's a draw that felt like... We were 2-0 down in that game. We came back to 2-2. It obviously spirited us because, you know, we 
we come back against our rivals. Just not to lose that fixture is always brilliant. But then we went on to win our last two games of the season against Blackburn and Wolves. Got goals from Keenan Defoe. And they were kind of the future of the team going forward. And they were massive players going into, you know, the seasons afterwards, which were so much better. So I actually think that the spirit of coming back in that game kick-started by Redknapp as well, wasn't it? You got, you got the goal, an older player who brought us yeah. back into that. But yeah. I genuinely think that was a significant game. I really do. And they're crazy goalkeeper. Yeah. And they've never been as good since either. They've never been as good since that game. Jens Lehmann, their crazy goalkeeper, gave away a penalty in yeah. the last yeah, 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 yeah. minute, which Robbie Keane yes. not, I think. So that was a yeah. good draw that felt like a, a moral victory. For me, um, touching at straws that season was... But it's interesting mm. you say that, Sin, though, because possibly you could sort of chart it, because having gone backwards we, yeah, we, we can sort of see the uplift in uh, in the club change around but that season if I can go around the table in normal fashion you can sum it up in a couple of words Peter how would you sum up this season in a couple of words no swear words please we're a family show uh, lacklustre rock bottom old John and I'm going to tell you why <laughs> we signed Mabazela who was supposed to yes. be the new Lucas Radaby and everyone was really excited about it and I think the only comparison to Lucas Radaby is that he came from the same country because every other thing that we saw of him throughout that season was absolutely terrible and his nickname was was Old John and he did look like an Old John running around (laughs) (laughs) Old John I love that so that sums up the season and the mentality of that season I agree Old John I like that I think think lacklustre is very uh, very true um, so thank you guys thank you Dan for joining us again it's great to have your insight thank you Sim cheers, thank you cheers, Peter. Um, cheers, everyone keep well and thanks for listening guys uh, we'll be back tomorrow night to uh, go through a really turgid season season 2002 2003 but don't let that put you off please tune in for tomorrow night thanks guys again and see you all soon <laughs>